it to uh, verses 33 to 37. Remember, we're in kind of a section inside of uh, the Sermon on the Mount that deals with our relationships with other people. And uh, remember that righteousness requires reconciled relationships. Uh, that we, our, our righteousness cannot exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees that was talked about in, in, in the first uh, uh, section of chapter 5. Uh, our righteousness cannot exceed their righteousness unless our relationships are where they should be. Uh, this morning, if we're going to title this message, the, 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 the title will be, Can You Handle the Truth? Can You Handle the Truth? Uh, look at verse 33 of Matthew 5. It says, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst uh, not make one hair white or black. But let your, um, let your communication be yea, yea, or nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. All right. Let me say right off the bat that this is taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, every time you lie, you take God's name in vain. This is not the sin of cussing. That's not what this is dealing with. It's, it's, it's using oaths. It's using promises and the breaking of them to your advantage when keeping them would cost you more than you planned on. Okay, that's what we're dealing with. You know, Amish, Amish buggies, we have a large Amish community in southwest Missouri where I went to Bible college, uh, they probably don't have speedometers. Do you realize that? They, they don't. Now, how do they know if they're breaking the law? Well, it's, uh, yeah, because you really can't speed in a horse and buggy on the side of an interstate. Um, they always know they're going far beyond the demands of the law, way under the speed limit, even in a school zone, okay? Now, the Amish don't have radar detectors either. When they see the lights come on on a police car, they don't have to say, oh, man, I hope that's not me. How fast was I going? You know, you've all felt that little surge of adrenaline, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't have to worry about that, okay? Uh, they're, they're, they're built to live beyond the demands of the law, so they don't have to worry about breaking that law. One of the purposes Jesus has in preaching this is, is not to create Amish people. That's not his intention. But it's to call us to live far above the demands of the law of God that we almost don't even have to wonder if we're breaking the standard or not. He's speaking to build a people who live by the radical standards of God's kingdom. That's what he's doing. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the kingdom standard. Now, you remember uh, when you were a kid years ago, in an effort to convince your friends that, 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 that you were really serious 
about a matter, you used to uh, make an oath of sorts. And the oath was, was this, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You guys remember that? That was your oath. And that vow was, was, was taken in the only legal way to break that vow without any uh, repercussions was to have your fingers crossed at the time of the commitment, right? Thinking that was, you know, really you could commit to anything. And you could uh, renege with impunity as long as you had your fingers crossed. Now, while all the oath-taking and finger-crossing seemed to be rather rather innocent back in those days. That mentality has followed us into our adult years. Many in our society have kept the, the using of the finger-crossing technique in order to find ways to justify almost every commitment that's made, especially when keeping the commitment becomes difficult or it becomes costly or maybe if it's just inconvenient for you. You know, the cost of broken commitments goes far beyond the financial realm. There are personal, emotional, spiritual costs that need to be considered. And nearly all of us at one time or another have experienced the pain of discovering that someone we trusted, a parent, a spouse, a child, a friend, an employer, a co-worker, apparently had their fingers crossed when they made that cross-my-heart promise. And it's because of, of this that, that, that these words of Jesus are so relevant and important to us today. In these verses, Jesus is calling his followers to a new and different way of living than what they had been taught by the Pharisees. And if you ever find yourself looking up to the demands of the law, you know that you're in sin, you're on the wrong side. Not because we're under obligation to keep the letter of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law for us. Uh, but if we, in our efforts to love God and love his people, find ourselves not living up to the demands of the law, something is wrong. Because we should be so far beyond the law into Christ's law of love. It's because the command to love builds in us the ability to go far beyond just the letter of the law. Because we've been set free, not, uh, not free to break the law, but, but free to live above the law and its demands, you know, we don't have to worry about having a speedometer. If we're loving God the way we should and loving other people like ourselves, then we're going to be living so far beyond the demands of the law, we don't have to worry about having broken it. So what do we do? Well, we see in verse 33, talking about vows and, 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 and oaths, we see a good thing that's turned rather bad. Uh, verse 33 again, if you want to look at it, says, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. See, people have always been commanded not to lie. Uh, they knew from the Ten Commandments that telling the truth was a good, was a good thing. The entire concept of oath-taking originated in the Old Testament. Uh, but before we consider the origin, maybe we ought to make sure we understand just what an oath is. What is an oath or a vow? 
according to the biblical commentaries, this is what it is. An oath is a solemn affirmation or declaration made with an appeal to God for the truth of what is affirmed and a calling down of his vengeance and renouncing his favor if what is affirmed is false. So in other words, when a person takes an oath, he or she is making a solemn declaration or a statement with an appeal to God to bear witness to the truth of what was affirmed, denied, or promised. And the individual making an oath is calling upon God to be the witness, calling upon God to be the judge, calling upon God to be the revenger if they are not speaking truthfully. By swearing an oath, they allowed the people who heard them to have much more confidence in what they were saying was true. So if I told you I'd pay for a field, you might believe me or you might, you might doubt. Am I, am I serious? Am I lying? Was I even paying attention to, to what I said? Was I speaking hypothetically? But if I made an oath to pay a certain amount of money for a field, you would know I meant what I was saying, that I, that I wasn't joking, that I wasn't lying, because I would swear by the name of God, and I would have him to deal with if I broke that vow. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, God had even told his people to swear oaths by his name. It says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him thou shalt thou serve, and to him thou shalt cleave and swear by his name. That law was designed to encourage truthfulness in God's people. But sinners did what sinners will do. They used the fact that the oath existed as an excuse to lie when when they did not uh, swear an oath. They said, oh, you know, I said I'd buy that field for that amount, but, you know, I didn't swear an oath, so sorry, pal, but I'm off the hook. And then the people developed an elaborate system of oaths. One rabbi wrote that if you swear by the city of Jerusalem, you don't have to keep your oath, but if you swear towards Jerusalem, then you're bound to keep your vow. The only oaths considered binding by the Pharisees were those taken in the name of the Lord specifically. As long as they did not invoke the name of God, they were free to renege. They were free to back out, so they thought. In, in, in this section, Jesus refutes that false teaching by the Pharisees by proclaiming that all oaths are binding. Even though they may not mention the name of God, he is nonetheless the creator and the owner of everything. And Jesus reminded the Pharisees that to swear by heaven was, in effect, to swear by God because heaven is where God's throne is. To swear by the earth would be to swear by the place that is considered his footstool. So to swear by the, the footstool is to swear by the one whose footstool it is. To swear by Jerusalem would be to swear by the city of that great king, which would mean to be swearing by the king himself. Swearing by one's head or by one's life, really, is what that means, was also considered to swear, be swearing by God because he's the author of life and he's in control of life, even down to the color of your hair. This is all God right here. See that? All right. The oath system 
became a system of rules that said when it was okay to lie and when it was not okay to lie. So instead of strengthening the cause of truth like the oaths were intended to do, they weakened it. You could, you could learn to swear in a very evasive way so that you could deceive people to your advantage. So Jesus comes and he cleans house. Jesus says again that swearing by anything is swearing by God. Now the reason behind the command with regard to oath taking was first and foremost to restrain our propensity to lie because we are liars. Because of sin, lying was prevalent among the people in Moses' day, just as it was in Jesus' day, just as it is now in our day. The taking of an oath in the name of the Lord was meant to bring to bear upon the minds of the people the seriousness involved when you are untruthful, when you lie, when you deceive. Another reason for the oath taking commanded uh, here was, was, was to restrict the practice to just serious matters only. This wasn't to be a flippant thing. And the act of, of, of taking an oath had, had, had been trivialized and the people were taking oaths in the name of God over, over some really stupid things. So Jesus is, in effect, here saying, if you're just going to use oaths to lie, just don't use them at all. I mean, why would a follower of Jesus, why would someone in God's kingdom following this king, uh, why would they need an oath to begin with? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if he's the truth, his children ought to speak the truth. And Jesus reminds us of the truth. Everything we say should be an oath. Look in verse 37 again. Let your conversation be yea, Yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. When you say I'll do something, whether you had a contract or not, you should do it. When you're speaking, whether you swore on the Bible or not, you should tell the truth. He's calling us to live far beyond the law. And far, far beyond our culture, everything we say is just as solemn as if we have said, may God strike me dead if this isn't true, before we said it. See, in our day, we, we do much the same. Uh, I mean, we, we play the word games to avoid responsibility. The fact is that it is a commonly accepted practice in our day not to fulfill commitments and not to follow through on, on, on things that have been promised. The fact that we swore an oath should never be what makes us truthful, and we need to understand this. The fact that we're followers of Christ should make us truthful. The fact that we are sons and daughters of the true and living God is what should make us truthful. We don't need legal restraints to tell the truth. We don't need legal restraints to be honest. We don't need legal restraints not to be deceptive. 
Now, hardly anybody lives like this anymore. I mean, lies almost serve as the, as the lubricant to keep the gears of society turning, but, but it should not be so among us. What lies do for the world, imperfectly, of course, the gospel has done for us. The people of the world will lie to defend themselves in any sticky situation. We don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to protect ourselves, especially when we are truthful and doing right. We recognize that if we're guilty, we don't cover it up. We trust Christ for our defense. The people of the world lie to make money. And God has proved on the cross and in demonstration day after day after day that everything we need is going to be provided for us. So we don't have to lie to make money. We can be honest and truthful and trust God to provide. The people of the world lie to maintain social relationships. But we, we confess our sins to God. We confess our sins one to another. And we pray for one another. And we forgive one another as we've been forgiven. This is why God calls us to a new and deeper committed relationship with him. Each time we obey the call of God, each time we commit and we follow through, we discover a new and more more profound way of, of just how loving and how kind and how good God is. See, we don't we may not really be convinced that God is good. Oswald Chambers once said that the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. If we're convinced that God is good, being truthful and honest is not going to be a chore. So how, how truthful are we? Do we tell little white lies so that we look good in front of other people? Are we dogmatic when we shouldn't be? Are we brave enough to say, I don't know, when we don't know something? Do we exaggerate? And, you know, an exaggeration, it's, it's just a lie in a cheap suit, Right? Are we honest in business? Are we honest with the IRS? Say, well, I don't like the government. You think Jesus liked the government? That was instrumental in killing him, but he paid his taxes. Are you better than Jesus? Do we say that we'll do something to our own hurt? Do we keep our word even if it hurts? Are we honest about our sins and our struggles? Can people around us trust that what we say is reliable? Or do we only tell the truth in a contract? Do we attempt to deceive in any way? I mean, we may not lie, but if we don't tell the whole truth, we are being deceivers. And we can make any number of excuses for why we deceive, but every one of them shows a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. If I'm not honest on my tax return, I may not have enough money. That's not, that's not trusting God to provide. If I'm honest with this person, they'll think uh, badly of me. Well, that, that's not trusting God to bring reconciliation. It's not being faithful enough uh, 
by being faithful enough to know that God is enough for you even if the relationship isn't reconciled. If I'm honest about this sin, people will reject me. That's really not believing the gospel, that really we're all worthy of rejection and we are to love one another and forgive one another. So with all this, all this warning, should we, should we even take vows? Should we even perform oaths? Should we avoid them altogether? Well, I, I don't think that's what Jesus is, 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 is giving that prohibition against here. That, that's not the tone of the sermon. It kind of contradicts other passages of Scripture. The point Jesus is making is not that we shouldn't make commitments. The point is that in making the commitments, we should say what we mean and we should mean what we say. We should not uh, play word games to our advantage. We should be honest. We should be truthful, even if it, especially if it hurts. Anybody can tell the truth when it doesn't cost you anything. There's nothing at risk. But when it's going to cost you something, when it's going to hurt you in some way to be honest and tell the truth, to be truthful, that's especially when you need to tell the truth. See, Paul didn't take this command absolutely. Jesus wasn't against oaths. God himself swore. He made vows like in Genesis chapter 9 when he makes a vow to to Noah. Swearing a vow can be a loving thing towards those with whom we have to deal uh, because they may not know our character and it would give them assurance. But people tend to be dishonest. Paul Harvey told a story. I thought this was quite clever. The four high school boys were late to their morning classes one day, and they entered the classroom and solemnly told their teacher that they were detained due to a flat tire. The sympathetic teacher smiled and told them that was too bad that they were late because they had missed a very important test that morning. But she was willing to let them make it up. She gave them each a piece of paper, and a pencil, sent them to the four corners of the classroom, and she told them that they would pass this test if they could answer one question. Which tire was flat? (laughs) We understand that there are dishonest people in the world, and sometimes we have to deal with people who don't know us so well. If it helps them trust that, that, that our dealings with them are going to be honest, then we can swear a vow, we can sign a contract, we can say a pledge, but that should never be the reason that we keep that vow. That should never be the reason that we're honest, that we swore on the Bible. That, that should never be the reason we tell the truth. We tell the truth because we're children of God and it's the right thing to do whether we've sworn or not. If we, if we ever have to say, well, I really need to tell the truth in court because I swore in the Bible, then we are way off track in the way that we're living. If we have to say, well, the IRS might catch me so I have to be honest with my income, then, 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 then no, there's, there's something wrong with our understanding of truthfulness. Remember that the command to love always lifts us above the, the, the letter, the, the, the demands of the law. Now what about wedding vows and pledges of allegiance and oaths of office and swearing by the Bible? They're fine vows to take for the benefit of those that we're dealing with. 
but whether we vowed or not should make no difference in whether we are true to our word. You know, James deals with this. If you want to turn to James chapter 5, we're going to be in James chapter 5, James chapter 4. James chapter 5 and, and verse 12. This passage seems pretty absolute. James chapter 5, verse 12. says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now, when, when would you fall under condemnation, or another word for that would be judgment, for swearing an oath? Well, if you lied under oath, if you failed to fulfill what you promised, if you're in James 5, look over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 13, might shed some light on this, 13 to 16. James says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go in such a city and continue there for a year and buy and sell and get gain. Verse 14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor or a mist, like your breath in the wintertime, so short, that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Verse 15, um, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or or that, but now you rejoice in your boastings, all such thing, all such rejoicing is evil. Now, we should never say that we'll do something that we're not sure of. We should always qualify unsure things, not as a way of escape for us, but it shows it shows this. It shows that you can't control everything about your circumstances. But you can say, you know, I can't control everything that's going to happen, but as far as it depends on me, I will do this. When you say something, mean it or don't say it. It seems to me that James is clearly talking about the oaths that were taken to deceive, like we see back in Matthew 5. He's saying, don't swear an oath, be honest. Don't try to use legalese to justify a lie. When you say something, mean it. Don't, don't, don't try any of this. You know, I swear by something less than God, so, you know, I'm off the hook there. I don't have to keep my commitment. No, um, you, you, you do have to answer for God. You will be judged for that. And the broad principle here is that, that love frees us to live beyond the law. It doesn't, doesn't free us to live below it, but above it. And our consciences shouldn't be bound to speak the truth in any situation uh, because of, of, of a piece of paper we've signed. But, but we are free to speak the truth because we are sons and daughters of our Father who is in heaven. And he is a Father of truth. He is a God of truth. That's why we tell the truth, not because we've sworn an oath or signed a piece of paper. According to Matthew 5, everything we say is a vow. When I say yes, I better mean yes. When I say no, I better mean no. It doesn't matter if I'm on the phone talking to another pastor, if I'm, if I'm talking to one, one of you guys, if it's somebody in, in business out, 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 out here in Juneau, if, if I say it, whatever it is, I better mean it. That's what Jesus wants us to get. Be honest, be truthful, 
even if it costs you, be honest and be truthful. Because this is how Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is faithful and true. Everything he says, he does. If he says he'll do it, he'll do it. And, And we only have to look at the cross to see this. He said that he would punish sin, so he did. He said that he would forgive sin, so he does. And that was a very expensive thing for him to say, to say that he would forgive sin and, and that he would punish sin, because that meant that, that he would have to take the punishment for sin. He was the punishment for sin. He kept his word. He swore to his own hurt, and he fulfilled every promise he made. He just wants us to be honest like him. We are his people. We should be like him. I want to see if we can wrap this up. Jesus calls for communication that is honest. As followers of Christ, the only oath and guarantee that anybody should ever need from us is our word. We ought to be men and women of character, men and women whose whose word can be trusted Our lives ought to be so that there would be no need for anyone to question our character. Our word should be our bond. Our yes ought to be absolutely yes, and our no ought to be absolutely no. Jesus taught that our conversation should be honest, our character so true that we would not need the crutches of an oath or a vow in order to get people to believe us. Jesus calls for communication that is honest. Jesus condemns conduct that is horrible. See, the need for anything other than a simple yes or a simple no arises from our own depravity, our own sin. Since the fall of Adam, lying has been a part of mankind. It's a long time. And we've gotten really good at it. Psalms chapter 58, or Psalm 58, they're not chapters, but Psalm 58, 3 says that man is born a liar. I raised two daughters. We have six grandkids. I did not have to teach them to lie. Their little sin natures expressed themselves almost as soon as they could speak. We are born liars. Oaths cannot compensate for poor character. You should write that down. That's not original. Matthew Henry actually said that. Oaths cannot compensate for poor character. Matthew Henry also said this. They who can swallow a profane oath will not strain at a lie. And Abraham Lincoln said, if a man is going to train up a child in the way he should go, he must first walk honestly himself. We must be people who walk in truth. We must. We carry the name of Christ. We take his name in vain when we lie. We must be people of truth. And as we ask at the beginning, can you handle the truth? Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed.
Father, this morning we come to you and ask you to please examine our hearts. Lord, often we become so comfortable in protecting ourselves with, with the lies of any magnitude that it becomes so common we, we almost, Father, we lie without realizing it. And that, that should not be named among your people. Father, I pray that your spirit would convict us, that he would reveal to us the sin of deceitfulness, of, of, of lying for convenience, of being untruthful. I pray, Father, that you would so work in us that we are known as people of truth so that we do not take your name out into this world in vain, that we do not give anyone an opportunity to blaspheme your name because we have been untruthful. Thank you that Jesus is our way and he is the truth and he is the life. And I pray, Father, this morning for anyone that does not know Jesus as Savior. They are still living in sin. They are still living in the lie. And they could be so free, free from condemnation. They could be free to walk with you if they would but come to Jesus to be saved. And I pray that you would convict them of that sin. I pray that you would draw them to yourself through Christ. Lead them to faith that they can walk in truth. Father, we lay ourselves at your feet this morning and pray as painful as it would be that you strip away the lies, the deception, the pride, the self-protection. That we can be people of truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Mike, would you come ahead?